Hey, Forging Fury family, welcome to 2020. This is Michael and Riley coming at you. We've got some big plans for 2020 for the podcast. I know you've got big plans for your lives. We've oh, got yeah. big plans for ours. Riley, what are we doing? We have launched a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Forging Fury. And what is that going to do? It's going to give you an opportunity to join our Forging Fury family. Support what we're doing. You know, you love this podcast. We love it. You want to be on our team? You want to be on the Forging Fury family? Kind of hop on patreon.com slash Forging Fury and, and join our sticker gang. What's going on with the sticker gang? For some reason, for two guys with faces for radio, we decided to create stickers with our heads on it. So we got bobblehead stickers um, that we're making available. You can put them on your cups, your computers. Anywhere, really. Your spouses, whatever. Yeah. So what that's going to do, that sticker is going to kind of be kind of a token of our gratitude for you helping us out. We are in a position where this podcast has just taken off. We've not even been a year in, and it's going to take us to a whole nother level. Yep. Dive into that a little bit more, Michael. Yeah, we have lots of plans for 2020. We uh, we want to expand uh, the content we're bringing to you. We may get into some video content, uh, more drop-ins mm-hmm. at other gyms. We'd yep. like to do some traveling outside the state of Arizona, if possible, and just kind of spread our message to more people and just hear more stories. 2020, you guys, come support us. Go to patreon.com slash Forging Fury to yes. join the sticker club. Hell yeah. Love you guys. Mean it. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. What's going on, sweet people? Personas dulces. Forging Fury. Forging Fury podcast. I'm so excited. We've got faces only our mother could love. Can't believe you just said that. Love you, mean it. What's going on, sweet people? This is Coach Riley, and on today's episode of the Forging Fury Podcast, alongside my friend Michael Gray, we have another close friend of mine, Morgan Gregory. What's going on, dude? Not much, man. How are you doing? Happy to be here. I could have spent a lot of time introducing this man, but I just like, let's just get straight to it. There's a lot we want to talk about here. Well, if you've been listening, you have heard him. He was on our Christmas episode briefly. That sultry voice has appeared on the the, uh, the waves before. He told us about his Christmas tradition of getting drunk on Christmas Eve. How'd that go this year? That went very well According um, to a lot of cards against humanity and my reading ability goes way down <laughs> i was mispronouncing words all day long so you played cards against humanity with your family i did oh that gets awkward young part quick. of my family the oh, older okay. part of my family fell asleep very early oh okay See, i've never okay, played that fine. i've heard that game's fun i've never played you it. you don't though. want to play it with any like relatives you don't like like with dixie yeah, you don't want to play with dad. mom or dad because like you mess around and have to read something in front of you. Yeah, it you know, got awkward interesting, in my family reunion. The interesting part about that is you realize that you're getting a little older because the things that you found funny when you were 21, because <laughs> we were playing with a group of people. It's my older brother who's 34 and then some, my younger brother who's 22. So when it's just a random card that says like, you know, butt or something on it like that, you know, him oh, and well, his friends, that was my test. I failed. I laughed. <laughs> <when he said laughs> butt. Him and his friends start all howling and that gets, that's the winning card where my brother talks about like an unrivaled belief to find existentialism in your pancakes. And like, <laughs> that's one thing. And yeah, see, like, we think that's funny. That's right. Um, no, I'm guess I'm still a kid. That's, that's what we found. Was you that. and I should just play that game together. It'd be, it would be hard. Awkward. Did you be cracking up at one point? Then I would be. I think the game is yeah. supposed to be awkward. Yeah, it's supposed to make people uncomfortable. All right. We had a, a Cards Against Humanity uh, game at my uh, friend's giving this year, and um, it got real weird. It's just guaranteed to like space the room out because the most quiet person, I won't name them, but they were they were winning all the all the games. Like the person that you didn't think <laughs> would make certain comments was like kept getting all the cards, and I was like, oh my god, is but, it a large group game or like a smaller group? It can game? be six yeah. to eight. Yeah, okay. it can be. Yeah. It's like apples to apples for 
inappropriate minded adults. <laughs> nice. Yes. Sounds awesome. All right, Morgan, what we want to dive into first is what do you do for a living? Tell about, uh, tell these people what you do for a living. I'm the minor league strength and conditioning coordinator with the Cincinnati Reds. That sounds professional. It is. It is a lot less, it's probably a lot less glorious than it sounds, but it's a ton of fun and I truly love it. How long have you been with the Reds? Uh, this is my eighth year. I started out my first two years. I was a strength and conditioning coach with the Dayton Dragons. Nice. It's a low A team. And then the next year I went to the Daytona Beach Tortugas. Go Tortugas is, out there, huh? Yeah, exactly. So I'm that surprised was, you didn't uh, translate what Tortuga uh, means. Tortuga is uh, turtle. Yes. Hey, hey, there you, you go. You're right. that, so I, I helped Michael out. He doesn't use <laughs> right. that bilingual. No, I already knew that one. <laughs> and then I spent the next two years as the Latin American Strength Conditioning Coordinator and Rehab Strength Conditioning Coordinator and then got promoted to the uh, strength conditioning coordinator. Actually, one day when I was at Fury, I was there and I got called from my boss and he said, Hey, we're going to promote you. So That's I awesome. walked out by those tires and accepted a job promotion. So it was That's nice. Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know, Fury is just down the road from the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians training mm-hmm. facility in Goodyear. So yes, it is. That's why you're so close. Now, you said you're the minor league coordinator? Yes. So, so who's their minor league team then? So our minor league teams go from San, uh, go from Boca Chica Dominican Republic or DSL Reds to the AZL Reds, which is Arizona League that's um, in Goodyear, to Billings, Montana, Mustangs, Greenville, Tennessee Reds, Oy. Dayton, Ohio Dragons, Daytona Beach, Florida Tortugas, Chattanooga Lookouts. Tennessee, um, Louisville Bats, Kentucky. Yeah, I've been there as a kid. We talked about this before. So each one of those teams, which last year was a little over 250 players, is the realm of strength conditioning that that I oversee. I did not know that major league teams had multiple. Oh, yeah. And it's a big thing one nowadays. 1A, 2A, 3A, all the way up, man. Okay. Yeah. I, I grew up in Utah, so the Salt Lake Bees was my team. I don't know who they were tied with. That is the Angels AAA team currently. Angels. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So... From your just ex- experience, are you just explaining that like you started in the middle of nowhere and have landed here? Like, tell us about that kind of that process and and how was it doing a lot of traveling? You travel a lot. I do travel a lot, and that's probably my the favorite part of my job. To be honest with you, is is all the different places I get to see and different cultures that I get to see. But I think um, starting where I started, it was just not saying no to anything, Mm. being able to take all of these, um, experiences every time anybody asked me to do anything, you know, we want you to go to the Dominican Republic. We need you to come early to Arizona. We need you to do this camp or that camp. It was always a yes. It was always a, Oh yeah, I'm there. You know? So I think always being open to these opportunities, always being open to new things, kind of led me to where I am now where everybody says, you know, he's always available and sometimes that gets me in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that really led me to, so to being able to So you said yes to a lot of things in the beginning. Yeah. So before I started, um, before I even got in with the, in with the Reds, I had just signed my contract for a internship and they were one strength coach low on an early camp they were doing. I wasn't supposed to show up until March. And they had called all their strength coaches and everyone had said no. And they finally got to me and said, Hey, we need you here. Ne- Could you be here next week? And at that point I hadn't moved. I hadn't done anything. I still <laughs> had so many loose ends and just said, yep, put me on a plane. And so they, they brought me out here. I didn't know what to expect, 
but I just got here. And, and same thing about going to the Dominican Republic the first time. I was actually in line to walk down the aisle at my brother's wedding <laughs> and I got a call and I walked out. The wedding planner's freaking out. I got a call and he said, hey, you know, my, my boss at the time, who's currently our major league strength conditioning coach um, with the Cincinnati Reds, he called and said, are you willing to go to the Dominican next week? And I was like, yeah, that, yeah, that sounds great. And he's like, well, what is all that music in the background? I said, well, I'm about to walk down the aisle at my brother's wedding. And he's like, okay, get off the phone. And we'll talk about this later, but I think just always, <laughs> always being, being open available, to those, yeah. yeah, always being open to those opportunities. Well, I think we've, we've had a conversation in the past. You spent some time in other sports before baseball, didn't you? I did a yeah. lot of other sports in a very short amount of time. Okay. So that kind of goes along the same lines. Um, if, if I can go into the story a little bit. So when I first uh, got out of college, I got a job in a management and training program with a um, training facility called D1 Sports Training. Pretty quickly after that, I was running my own facility at 21 years old. No idea what in the world I was doing, but they had kind of given me the reins of this thing. And I realized- And you that, said yes, of course. Yes, of course. I, I, said, I said yes. And actually they gave me the option of three different facilities, Columbus, Ohio, Huntsville, Alabama, and Cincinnati, Ohio. And the, the guy kind of knew me pretty well at the time. He was giving me this opportunity and he said, the Huntsville location and Columbus location are, they're doing very well. The Cincinnati location is failing currently. And, uh, he said, so what do you want to do? And, you know, of course I go, wow, I'm going to bring that place out of the ashes. I didn't even take a look at it. And I said, I'm going to go do it. And so I take off, go, go to Cincinnati, move my life up there at 21 years old and said, I'm going to take this thing over. And it ended up, it ended up failing, ended up closing <laughs> down. So that, that's a later part of the story. But it, I, you know, trying to get the books out of where they were, trying to get the staff all pulling in the right direction, trying to get the program right. That was just something that I wasn't prepared for, but I was excited to do. So, you know, that year, as I was realizing that running a business is not what I wanted to do, working with athletes is what I wanted to do. I was just told by people that you really need to get out there and, and learn these different things and learn what it is you like and don't like about different realms of strength conditioning and different ages of athletes and things like that. So, um, before I got the job at the Reds, I was, uh, a strength coach for Indian Hill high school. At the same time I was interning at St. Xavier high school in Cincinnati. At the same time I was interning with the Cincinnati Bengals. At the same time I was strength coach for an ECHL, which is like a minor league hockey team, the Cincinnati Cyclones. And, um, <laughs> I was also a strength coach for an indoor football league, which is kind of like a minor league AFL, uh, the Cincinnati Commandos. So I was trying to do that all at once. I think I was, you trained all the Cincinnati brothers. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure they're a strong, strong group of people, those Cincinnati folks. Well, they were strong, but I was, I was failing at life at the mm. time. I wasn't sleeping right. I wasn't eating right. I, I just was in a kind of a dark mental place of, of a lot of How did you keep it doubt. all together? Like, how did you... Like what kind of organizational skills have you uh, kind of employed since working in this field? Um, Asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Smoke and mirrors, I think, is the the best way to do it. Um, In all honesty, I I mean, I I was probably um, at the time, I don't know how this goes, and I was drinking too much at the time. Mm. I was not eating right at the time. I was probably doing some other things to keep myself awake at times that were not not great choices and doing other things to put myself asleep that were not great choices at the time. Um, I wasn't splitting my time up as well as I could, which really taught me later to how to split my time up 
as well as I could. And it really taught me what I valued and what I didn't value. Um, the things that fell by the wayside when I was doing that many things was the, the business part of it was the, the parts of my life that I didn't care. wasn't as passionate about the things that weren't falling by the wayside specifically were the relationships I was building with the athletes. Um, and the program itself being run as I was on the floor with these guys, that stuff was not failing. Um, the organization of it was a really hard thing to keep together. Um, the books side of it, like where, I, where I needed to go, when I needed to be there, um, who owed what money, what I owed back to these people or however that, that was a tough thing for me to keep. Yeah. That's not where my passion is either. Yeah. That wasn't <laughs> exactly where my passion was, but I was able to really run where it was. And, and luckily, um, I got, I got enough great people around me to help me try to f- help me figure out exactly where I wanted to go. And so it really worked. Basically you're saying the relationships you formed with the people in that time frame like were way more valuable than like the books or like, right. well you need money to live, but right. those relationships and like built, like pouring into people was the most important part. Yeah. It was the most important part is the most passionate part I, I had. And mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest thing that, I enjoy about my job today is the, the specific relationships that I have with each person. Everyone always asks me about the, the strength and conditioning program that I employ with 250 players. And I can go on and on for days. What I feel like is important to baseball players for, you know, what can keep them healthy, what can make them better on the field, what can make them stronger or anything like that. But the way that I look at it and the way that I hope my strength coaches look at it all around their, their affiliates. And this is what I always preach as well is it's not one program onto 250 players. It's a specific program that I have with each individual player. So, and I take that very seriously. So when I build a program with a player, it has nothing to do with just my beliefs on what he needs to do to get better. It's an investment from him and an investment from me. And we both feel the program together. And that's something I've been doing ever since I started building programs for people when I was in college. And, you know, my friend's parents were asking me for programs to go to lifetime with, you know, like, well, let's come together with what your goals are. This is what I think can help those goals. And then let's get into this program together. That way, when the gains are made, that's felt. But when things go wrong, I feel it with that person and we can invest in how to get out of that hole together. Yeah. I think that's interesting because you say you weren't real great at the business side of things, but you've got, you know, you're able to juggle 250 different programs essentially. And people are really, people can be really good at the business side of things, but just give a one you know, a cookie cutter approach to everything else. So, I mean, the fact that you're able to develop those relationships and be um, active in those people's lives to that extent is far more valuable, I would think, than just being able to, hey, I can, I can get the books to all balance this, this month, that type of thing. So you can know every part of the car, but not know how to drive it. Right. You know, like there's a lot of people that know every part and And there's more people that know every part that can't drive it. Mm. And, And I think that you obviously are promoting yourself with more value because of that, because you've got that ability. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a unique thing for me. It teaches me a lot about myself too, to see other people's approaches to their own careers, other people's approaches to their own health, you know, because it's not just, I don't, I don't just take pride in working with baseball players. You know, I work with our athletic training director and his fitness goals and our physical therapy director and his fitness goals and my mom and her fitness goals. And all of these things are, make up who I am. It's not just me as a professional or me as a person. All of these relationships affect me and who I am and how I progress in my life. And so I learned so much about how they view themselves, how they view my relationship with them and how it affects their health, which obviously I find very important. 
Um, so I, I think that is I a big thing in my life. Like being in a coaching role or like strength and conditioning role or even like a fitness role, I feel like uh, we're like modern day therapists. Because like a lot of people's physical health is really tied to their mental health. And sometimes people are like, well, like, you know, let's talk about what you got going on. Like, when's the last time you worked out? Or like, how was this workout to you? And then it'll turn into basically a one-on-one therapy session. Like, like, yeah, this, my back was hurting because I stayed up last night with my kid. And then they go into the story of a kid. Like, do you deal with that a lot with your athletes? Like, do they just like, is it more emotional than it is physical? Yeah, because, you know, imagine with these guys being a major league baseball player is everything that to them is the stars. So that is a part of all of their life. So not just the health of their physical body, but you know, mind their relationships at home, how they eat, you know, what's going their, their genetics, all these things play into how well they can translate their abilities into consistent success on the field, which obviously, as we all know, professional sports without consistent success, you're an afterthought at some point, doesn't matter how good you once were. So these guys really do, really do unload everything. And I think the best ones are the ones who are able to filter it all out. And so strength coaches turn into therapists and Mm -hmm. trainers (laughs) turn into therapists and therapists turn into strength coaches. (laughs) And, you know, um, one of my best friends is our mental skills coach. And he says that everybody is a mental skills coach um, because, you know, everyone has people they feel different levels of comfort with and they will let it out to anybody. And I I welcome that. And I really think that that's a crucial thing, you know, and I get there are people whose job it is to be therapists in our organization. We don't, we don't overstep our bounds, but people struggle with different things and there's different levels of letting it out. And I think uh, it's important for everyone to understand how to properly be sounding boards for these for these young men well like the most the most likely person as an athlete that you're going to be vulnerable with or talk with is probably either your athletic trainer while they're fixing you up or like your strength coach while you're working out like you're rarely going to go to coach and tell them like hey man i'm having confidence issues like i'm not going to go to the coach and tell you that i'm having that which maybe that would be a good thing too but like those people are the probably the like the most important people in the in the organization because they're like the first line of like the athletes going to them and like opening up to them, don't you think? Yeah. Well, if you imagine, you know, in a given day, the strength coach stretches everyone on the team. The strength coach sees every person on the team. Every person comes in and does some type of activation or movement primer in the day to get ready to do, to be active. The pitching coach doesn't see everybody on the team, right? He doesn't see the hitter or doesn't interact closely with the hitters and the hitting coaches don't interact closely with the pitchers. And so the only person who really sees every single player every single day is the strength coach. Mm. So in a lot of cases, that's just where your closeness comes is the amount of familiarity you have with seeing someone every single day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and that's where a lot of my relationships get built is just being able to be familiar with people and, and remember things. Who, who do you else do you see every day? Like there's not a person that like you say, like other than maybe your spouse or your significant other, like your coach, like the per- like if you come to CrossFit or like you go, if you're a professional athlete or like you see your coach every day, like who else do you see that? Yeah. That's really an important role, I think. And you're able to tell, you know, and Riley, you being a coach, you're able to tell the differences between people who are having a good day and a bad day, mm. but a good week and a bad week or a good month and a bad month. I mean, you and I have worked out next to each other for almost two years now. Yeah. And you can look at me in the way that I'm moving one day and tell that's going to be a tough day or that's not <laughs> going to be a tough day. And, or like, man, he really looks like he's 
on all cylinders right now, or he doesn't without even really interacting with me. And that's the same thing about the players as well is you build that type of relationship with them and you can tell no matter what's happening on the scoreboard, are they four for five or are they over their last 12? Are they in a good spot right now? Or are they not? You know, and then how you deal with that is a different story. But I mean, I think it's important to be able to build a type of relationship with a person and to know those types of things. Nice. I love that. I think as a game of baseball, it's it's a lot of mental, like mental kind of ritualistic type, like being in a mental state with baseball is important because like you could go, like you say, 0 for 12 or you could be on fire, but that steady kind of being consistent, like being consistent in a mental place is, is important for the game because there's going to be slumps and there's going to be hot streaks and like how you ride those waves or like how your longevity in the game is. Yeah. I mean, in the minor leagues, they play 140 games. In the big, in the major leagues, they play 162. Um, and in some places in the minor leagues, you know, you have short seasons and everything. But the the bottom line is, is days happen day after day after day. There's no chance for you to really just take a take a minute to think about what's happening because by that time, the next at bat is here and the next next time is here. So people who are able to properly log these experiences and use them for something that's going to be productive in the future, these are the people who are able to learn from whatever it is that just happened, whether if it's good or bad and move it on to the next thing, rather than someone who looks at something and dwells on the parts of it that they can't change or something like that, that they get to the next part is unproductive. And they're using what happened before, whether if it's an error and at bat or even a good at bat or a bad at bat, sometimes, you know, a home run's the worst thing because you hit a home run, you think everything's great. Let me capture that swing. And you get up to the next time and you're trying to capture a swing that happened either last night or an hour ago or a week ago. And you think I need to capture that swing. I need to put it in a bottle and be able to put it out every time that makes it even harder at times. So I think the people who can be productive from day to day, not just week to week or season to season or match to match or competition to competition. These people have to be productive from 24 hour periods to 24 hours and less periods. Yeah. Dealing with that. Well, go ahead, Mike. No, go ahead. I'm just saying like dealing with adversity, like, I mean, they're going to be, there's going to be ups and downs in that game. And, and, uh, Speaking of dealing with adversity, perfect segue. Let's talk before about... Before we go into oh, that, no, no, no. I did have a question. Before we go further into what Riley was going to talk about, I wanted to go back to before you got your, your jobs you did now, because I, I feel like you were an athlete. I feel like you probably mm. played a lot of sports. I don't know what kind of sports Why? you played. Because the man's built like a fridge? <laughs> he is. He is. Bag of hammers. Yeah, bag of say. hammers. So I, I would envision you as probably someone who probably went on to some collegiate level work. And I wanted to hear your story of just sports personally um, before you got into it as a business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, it's, a, it's a longer story, so I'll give you the shorter, <laughs> shorter version of it. I started out at uh, Montgomery Bell Academy as a high school that's very, very prestigious in their sports. Um, and I was very successful in, in the baseball realm. And I thought I was meant for pretty pretty big things. And, and I was really looking at some bigger schools and I, I was we were talking about professional opportunities. And in the tryouts of my senior year, I dove for a ball and I broke my back, you know, or that was kind Ooh. of the, the nail. That was the straw that broke Morgan's back actually. <laughs> right. um, so it was something that I'd been building at the time. I was already in a place of discomfort and it was tryouts my senior year. I mean, obviously at that time I'm, you know, I'm already going, I'm already thinking big schools and, and possible draft scenarios. And I dove for a ball in a time that didn't matter and couldn't hardly stand up. Mm. So I end up missing part of my senior season, end up missing part of my senior season and, um, coming back too early. I, I, I 
was sick of it. I was fed up. My back felt fine. And I put air quotes around that. My back felt fine. I thought I was ready to go. I came back too early and it wasn't good. I, I couldn't move the same. I wasn't hitting the same. So every big school that was interested in me has now cut ties with me, especially the school that I, the main school that I had already signed to go to, um, at that point, we told won't me, mention this yeah, team. <laughs> we will not had, had already, um, pretty much told me they were no longer interested in me at the time. Um, so then I went to a smaller school, Carson Newman university, and I redshirted that first year. Um, and was pretty cool cause they, you know, getting the opportunity to play, getting the opportunity to be a part of a, um, baseball team after I thought I was probably done with that forever was interesting. Um, but I never really was the same again. Mm -hmm. So I did play for three years at Carson Newman university. Um, and I, by the, by the end of the last year, my, you know, my elbow was messed up. My back didn't feel great and just nothing felt really good. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where that, that story ended. You know, I tried to play a little bit of baseball after college and just nothing was quite the same after, after that. Now, were you just baseball like in high school or did you, were you like a well-rounded sports kid? Yeah, I was, well, I was well-rounded a lot. I actually played, I played football, soccer and baseball and, and high school and I played the viola too, actually. Wow, Um, man, a bit of talent. Do you still play it? No, I don't. It would look like a baby, like ukulele now. (laughs) I know. But no, yeah, I played those sports in high school and, um, I started working out a lot in high school too, because, you know, I just liked the idea of looking big. I was watching Ronnie Coleman on the front of magazines and, and <laughs> YouTube videos and thought that looked great. Yeah. So I started doing that cool. a lot in high school. So you think maybe those injuries that you had and kind of like the love for working out kind of grew that passion that eventually led to all this opportunity in this strength conditioning world. Yeah. Like you wanted to learn how to fix your own body. And then like to help other people as well. Well, I think I, st- I started working out in a very improper way in Which high school. And so I think being able to be in a platform to be able to teach people um, proper movement, movement skills, movement abilities, and then techniques and processes by which to get to a safe place um, to exercise and be athletic. I think that was where it really started my passion in it. And then it's just grown so many ways from there. Cool. Now we can move on to what you're going to ask. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted some background before we got into the next segment. Oh, well, if you guys don't know, uh, Morgan Gregory is Iron Man. If you may <laughs> see him, well, he used to have like a like a patch up front, or now he has it on his arm. Like, yeah, it's definitely on my arm. Yeah. I want to I want to hear uh, his story, and I'll let him tell it. But it's a really really good story. So if you ever had any excuses, listen to this story. <laughs> yeah. So all right. Well, I'll start with you know growing up. I did not grow up in the healthiest family. Um, it's not that they were terribly unhealthy, but pretty much every, uh, everyone on my dad's side had diabetes, had type two diabetes. Um, my grandmother, my, my dad at the time, my, you know, my, a couple of my uncles, but I was all, I've always been a, a big workout fiend and around 2015, I became a big health guy. So I started eating a lot better. I stopped drinking. Like we had talked about, I really started taking, um, my fitness level seriously Um, more so than even I used to. And um, so I was, I'd gotten into CrossFit and I was excited about competing and and I was trying to get, get a little bit more, uh, more into the competition side of things. This is pretty soon after I had made it to regionals with CrossFit Fury at the time and was unable to go because of work obligations. So now you said yes. 
Yeah, because you said yes. Yeah, because I said yes to work, and I, but I had to say no to, to CrossFit Fury, unfortunately. But so, I mean, I was just, I was chomping at the bit to get back into it. So I had kind of messed up my wrist a little bit, and um, the, the doctor prescribed a prednisone for my wrist. I'm going to scare people off now. Yeah. Um, but doctor prescribed a, a corticosteroid for my wrist, and I took the first day and I noticed I started going to the bathroom a lot and started, started urinating a lot that first day. And then I took the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth day. That was the final day. And I couldn't sleep through the night. I was, I was losing all kinds of weight. I was using the restroom and mind you, I'm 20, 28 years old, uh, 28 years old. I mean, at this point, I, I feel like my health profile is pretty solid at the time. And, um, I, I lost 16 pounds in just that few amount of days. Um, my appetite was through the roof. I couldn't eat enough, but I couldn't not use the restroom all through the night. So I go to the people at work and I say, something's wrong with me. And they're like, no, you're perfectly healthy. I mean, you know, you got blood work done less than a year ago. Everything's healthy and you're perfectly fine. I said, they were like, you know, it's just the way your body's reacting to the steroid, but something felt off. So after bugging them for a few days, I went to the doctor go in there and, and the doctor kind of, he's, he's just kind of giving me a once over, you know, follow my finger and, and tap my knee. Your reflexes are fine. All this is okay. So they, people come in and they're checking my blood pressure. They're checking these different things. And so someone checks my blood sugar and their eyes get really wide and they hand the meter to the doctor and the doctor said, you know, ask the tech person, Hey, did you touch this or did you mess with this? And they said, no. Are you serious? <laughs> that's yeah, what that's pretty much what he was saying. So then he redoes it and he, he kind of sends everybody away and kind of steps right in front of me and looks at me in the eye and says, well, you need to go to the hospital. And so I say, why, why what's going on? He's like, well, my, my blood sugar, re, my blood sugar monitor, my glucose monitor won't even read your blood sugar. It's so high. So um, at this point, I don't really know what to make of it more so than thinking how in the world has my genetics come and hunt me down like this, you know, mm. like how is this possible? Um, so to give everybody a frame of reference, a healthy blood sugar is between 70 and 100 milligrams per deciliter. Um, and the blood glucose meter, the glucometer reads up to 500 and it would not read mine. So wow. at least five times over, um, what you want to be. So <laughs> I, I call somebody from work and they drive me to the hospital and sure enough, my blood sugar was 641 once they drew the blood and found it out. That's insane. Um, yeah. So the interesting part was they had wondered how I hadn't gone into a coma yet. Um, is what people were like, uh, you know, apparently that sets in around 300, 350 and I'd sitting at 600, I'm sure for a few days, you know, so, um, that was pretty interesting. And at the time I was actually in the middle of a qualifier for Wadapalooza at the time. And yeah, that just didn't, wasn't going well yeah. uh, between the wrist and still and, probably did better than I would. have. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at that point, um, it was pretty quick, you know, unfortunately in this day and age of society that we are, diabetes is pretty rampant. It's pretty, pretty, um, heavy thing everywhere. So when I went back to the doctor the next day, um, because, well, first off, they thought there's a chance that it would come down and stay down. Well, it went down after, before I left the hospital that night and then the next morning it was back up over 500. So this is a real thing at this point in my life. And, and I went through denial for at least a year thinking I could get rid of diabetes. Like it's something I could just <laughs> shed like a cold. But so when I went to the doctor and he originally gave me the insulin, it was 
pretty quick. You know, it's like, there's like a routine to it now because it's so regular in society. So his thing, it was like step one, here's the pin. Step two, here's how you put it in. Here's how you do it. Step three, here's a manual. Step four, get out of my office. So, and he wasn't dismissive in any way, but it was just the way that it, the way that he presents it. So I'm very scared at the time. I've got these insulin pins and no idea what's really going on or what to expect or how to deal with it. And it took me a little while to get to the point where I could understand my diet and understand the way that I feel well enough. And that came with a lot of uncomfortable days of overdosing myself, like giving myself too much insulin. And then my blood sugar changes more than two, 300 milligrams per deciliter in just a few moments. And I drop way too low and I get shaky. Mm. And that's a scary feeling or my blood sugar going too high. You know, there's a scary couple of scary times. I'll make them both short. But one of the times I, I was, I was working out. I was at Fury. I was at CrossFit Fury and I was working out. Felt great. Felt awesome. I'd had a great day at work and this is during spring training. So it's kind of busy, but I got a workout in. I had a great day at work and I felt awesome. And I woke up behind the wheel of my car at a green light. I actually passed my house that I was going to, and I had no idea really how I'd gotten there. And you know, before going to work out, my blood sugar was what I would call it under control. And when I got back, it was over 400. So it took me a while to realize what was going on when things were happening. And the same kind of, same kind of deal happened, you know, I was doing an, I was trying to speed through an open workout. It's actually kind of a funny story because I'm, I can be a luck person at times. I think we, we can all be luck people at times. And, um, I had a really good open workout repeat after having pizza on Sunday one time. Ooh. And we'll talk thought, about the pizza pin here in a little bit. I'll let him finish the yeah. story, but I got a good story about the pizza pin. So I, I thought this was the last week of the open and this last week of the CrossFit open. And this was the, the thruster chest bar, mm. you know, from 21, 18 down, yeah. down or no, 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 it was building. It was yeah. going, so three, three, six, six, nine, nine, all the way up. And I needed a good one. I needed a good, good week. And, um, so I, I had oregano's, deep dish pizza. So it's a lot of carbohydrates <laughs> going in. And, um, I woke up, my blood sugar was sky high, which I thought perfect. This means I'm going to do well <laughs> and end up going after this workout. And I, I think I went into the last 20 seconds going to do way better. And I ended up doing worse because I was so out of it at the time. And then it turned into needing to drive to work and, you know, like, everybody around me, I was just out of it, you know, was, and again, that's just from an inexperience of not knowing how to handle it, not knowing what to do with it. And now it's kind of come down to a science. So what Riley was talking about with this, um, with the patch on my arm is a, it's a continuous glucose meter that I can always keep on me and lets me know how I'm trending high, low, things like that, which is, is interesting during competitions because, um, I always think it's funny. You're at a, you had a CrossFit competition. I'm a bigger guy. And then I'm put, I'm, I'm shooting myself with needles and everybody's looking at me like, Whoa, Whoa, that's not cool. Test this. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um, but I always go out to the floor with my, with like an RX bar or, or mm. some kind of, some kind of carbohydrate, you know, type of bar and uh, my glucose meter. And so I'll always have to tell the people on my team and tell the, tell the head judge, Hey, if I start fading, <laughs> just put that up there next to me. Let's see what we're doing. See what yeah. we're dealing with. Yeah, we've uh, 
we've um, maybe or maybe not allegedly eaten oregano's pizza uh, <laughs> as a as a team quite a few times. Legalized marinara. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's right. That's right. Is that what it says there? That's one of their slogans. Oh. <laughs> but uh, Morgan has this like pizza pen that like this this insulin pen that he always uses for like when he's about to dive in. He's like, hold <laughs> yeah. on, I got a good pizza pen, and then he'll just come back. He's like, let's let's go, let's dive in. <laughs> it's, it's so funny to watch. He's like, I'm ready now. It's a it's a ticking time bomb. So that's my short lasting mm. um, insulin. So what that's supposed to do is is bring it down quick. Mm. So what it is is you know especially at a place like Oregano's where it takes forty five minutes to make the really deep dish pizza, is you got to time it just mm. right or you start going low. So it's like a little game. I can play. Probably, probably not a good game for anyone else to play. But yeah, exactly. It's a game not I can play. To home, all you diabetics. Those poor servers don't even know what they what they have to deal <laughs> exactly. with. Exactly. Um, Morgan, do you think there's been a lot of trial, like you said, a lot of trial and error with like what works and what works for, uh, what doesn't work for you? What I want to say is like for anyone that's out there that's listening with diabetes, like what's some things that you've had success with, like well, how to manage it? The first thing that I kind of want to say is that the, the coolest part about it is that at this point, two to three years into having diabetes, like between that time, I'm the fittest I've ever been. Mm. I'm the healthiest I've ever felt. I'm the strongest I've ever been. I mean, we're, we're a month into the year and I've, I've PR'd a lot of lifts. I haven't PR'd since I was 25. So that was a while back. Yeah. <laughs> so old getting old. I'm <laughs> being 30 now that, that does feel differently, but <laughs> yeah, that must um, suck for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the coolest thing. I, I really thought there were many times when I got diagnosed with diabetes that I thought that my fittest days were behind me, that I'm now going to be a person who's managing something for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm, I'm now playing defense against things um, as f- instead of really going out and attacking my fitness and attacking my health. Um, so that's the first thing that I realized is that this is not a death sentence whatsoever. This is something that you can not only live with, but live alongside and Thrive. really, yeah, really push the limits of, of where you are, you know? And so the thing that it really helped me do is learn about myself, what deals best with me. And that's kind of one of the biggest things that I've told people. It's not that my diet is right for anyone else or that my workout schedule is right for anyone else. Well, I have learned what it is that works best for me, how it is that makes me feel the best and what makes me feel most comfortable with how it is I'm going to feel in the future. So, you know, for example, I, I wake up five to seven mornings out of the week and do like a monostructural cardio in the morning before I do anything else. And I just feel so much better in the day when I do that. Some people will feel better with sleep. Some people will feel better getting up and doing something. But what I did learn is through trying both and trying a lot of different things, I feel better doing it that way. So like I said, I mean, it did start out pretty scary with learning what it is makes me feel better and what makes me feel worse. But finding that starting out with a large mouth filter and coming down skinnier and skinnier to little tweaks here and there has really helped me figure out how it is that I can live my life. Not just like you said, not just, um, surviving, but really thriving through and reaching and accomplishing health goals and, um, fitness goals that I I've been been pushing for, which is, you know, health goals being keeping my A1C down, health goals being keeping my blood sugar in a reasonable spot where while keeping my um, cholesterol down, because in a place where I have so many less carbohydrates, now I really have upped the amount of fat intake that I have. So doing that while keeping my cholesterol down is, is, is definitely a thing for me. And 
So that's something that's important for me as well. So it's not just fitness goals, but it's finding the right health goals for you as well. It would have been pretty easy for you to get that news and just be like, well, it's over. Like, but hang it up, hang up the CrossFit cleats or hang up like your goals as an athlete or your goals, even health goals. But you didn't let that deter you. I think that's really the kind of the take home message I want to feel like that people need to hear is that like, like you said, it's not like a sentence of any sort. Like you're able, you can do it. Like you can figure this out and just go with it. I, I really love that story just because he just said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyways. And you know, what's interesting about that is there were moments like little brief flashes in there where I did give up mm -hmm. about it. You know, there were little brief, like, I, there's no way I can do this. You know, there's no way I can keep all of this, these things in my life straight, but it is, you know, understanding that like the, the first step forward is the next step kind of thing. I know that sounds cheesy, but, um, you know, when, when I have those moments where even now where I think, you know, whatever it is, whatever stress in my life is too insurmountable, I think, all right, well, let me just, let me turn the direction I want to go and take one step forward and then I'll take the second step. And then next thing you know, once you start doing that, you're 10 steps deep and you're, you're running. Mm. Um, and that's kind of a, a big thing. Like you said, is it did turn out for me that I just kept moving forward, but didn't come out, come without a serious doubts. And I think those serious doubts let me know how that other half lived. It let me feel how the negativity could affect me and that I did truly want to go forward. Mm. Heck yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll switch gears here. What's next from Morgan Gregory? Like what's, I know we got a competitive season coming up. What's next? We, we do big, big, uh, <laughs> 2020 season for the Cincinnati Reds, big 2020 season for Made some big signings. We, we did, but I think it's an exciting time to be um, in this organization. And it's an exciting time to be in professional sports. And that's because professional sports, not just baseball, is taking a huge dive into technology is taking a huge dive into trying to find the full 360 degrees of an athlete, not just how fast a guy is or how quick a guy is or how hard a guy throws. These are very small, pieces of a very large puzzle. So being a part of professional sports right now, you know, it's being a part of a time that's changing, being a part of a very pivotal point. So that's an exciting part um, about this upcoming year. But I think what's next for me is just to, well, first off, my, my main goal is to be a major league strength conditioning coach. I mean, that's oh, yeah. to be in the big leagues. I've wanted to be in a major league since I was four years old, watching, maybe not coaching, watching Derek Jeter. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a better coach than I was a player. Oh, I, yeah. I think, but I, I deal with being a coach better than being a player. I don't make any like fielding errors as a coach. Probably, I haven't struck out yet or don't make any like emotional impulses as a coach. Yeah, as you do as an athlete. Yeah, not not near as many, <laughs> and I'm much I'm much more of an even person as a as a coach because I was a very uneven player. I've noticed uh, once or twice. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, sometimes I can let it get the best of me. Um, do you throw it, your jump rope too on double? No, unders? so <laughs> me and Morgan have some battle stories, man. We've we've done some cool things together, and there's been a few times where you don't want to get. Well, when Morgan's really happy, he's yeah. dangerous. <laughs> he's the most aggressive high fiver I've ever had, and he's also like when when things go wrong, he gets. He's also very scary to be around as well. So like both ends of the spectrum. If he's in the middle, you're doing all right. Passion is what yeah. it is. But he's happy. You better watch out though. He's a lot more like powerful than you think. You want I, medium Morgan, right? Yeah, it's right in the middle. Okay. I think I think by high five, Riley could mean fist to the chest yeah, which he I punched me in the, I think the, the, was the solar plexus yeah I think I was pretty excited <laughs> and I thought by high five he meant to punch him in the chest <laughs> right. so I got excited and punched him in the chest really hard but it's we, hard to stop adrenaline was high so good thank goodness I didn't really feel it but <laughs> like we yeah I was like oh geez man 
Don't get your that heart probably felt it. Relax there, Keller. But Morgan, it's been great having you on the podcast. We loved hearing your story, man. We really just appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. I really do. Thank, Thank you. Do we want to get a uh, final word from him? Yes. I mean, I think he nailed it earlier. But like a quote you live by. I know you're a quote guy. Um. Oh man, that's a great one. Only the strong will conquer. That's Ooh. probably a big one. Dang. Um, for me. All right. Well, dang. That's easy enough. Yeah. Only the strong we'll will conquer. We'll stitch that on a pillow. Yeah. Let's yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we can put it on a bumper sticker. Sell it on Patreon. Well, heck yeah, man. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.